the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Well, let's now, if you have your Bibles, if you would open them up right now to Ephesians chapter 1. If you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 1. I want to answer the next question, since we answered the question, how did Jesus pray? I want to answer the question, now how did the Apostle Paul pray when others needed prayer? And I know that there are four main passages of Scripture giving us the example of how Paul prayed for other people. Now, I just want to calm your nerves a little bit because I don't want to go long today because we have a wonderful melee night tonight. And I want you to be a part of that and have some time with your family to love on them this afternoon and do the things there to be back. But I do want to go back over some of this here in Ephesians chapter 1. Now listen carefully. Paul gives us in Ephesians two different prayers, Philippians one model prayer, and then Colossians another model prayer. So there are four of them. I'm only going to cover one of those four today. The other three, I've had a wonderful week this week. Carol and I took a staycation and... We're having such a good time with our staycation. I just stayed home and wrote messages, you know. It's kind of like that. And I got three of these other messages together, but I thought, I don't want to keep this going on prayer too long. So I wrote the sermons. I then reduced them to little simple outlines that you have in your notes. But if you would like to have the full version of three more sermons that I won't be able to preach here, I would like you to know you write me on an internet, uh, my email, and I will attach that Word document and you will have all my notes on the other three. So you have four, but I'm only going to preach one today. Now some of you are saying, why are you making such a big deal over this? Well, one reason is because I'm told to preach the Word. And I want you to know the Word of God. And we're under the topic of when others need prayer. And so what better thing that we can talk about today that we haven't already talked about, which would be how did Paul pray? And if I was to pick one, I just picked the first one in the order of the ones that are found in Scripture. So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through the end of the chapter. Now when I do that, some of you might be saying, but don't you want to pray for those people that they would get a job, that they would get healthy, that they have good doctors, they'd have all of this kind of stuff? I want you to know there's nothing wrong with that praying. However, I do not see that as a major model of objects for which we pray in the lives of other people in Scripture. What I do see is that there are certain deeper prayers that we pray for people when they go through issues in their life. Now, you young people that are here especially, I'd like you to lean into this. And I'm going to ask you to do everything you can to pay attention to what I'm saying. Because I'm going to be sharing things that you've read in Scripture or heard in Scripture, but you didn't tie it to, this is how we really pray for other people when they have catastrophe and tragedies that are going on in their life. Now, when you see this, you're going to see the tragedy is over here and the prayer is over here. And you're going to say, how in the world do we ever bridge those things together? Because God is not as concerned about the tragedy, actually, in our life but about the growth that could happen in our life. He's not so much concerned about the destruction that's happened, but about the development of character that happens in all of this that he brings it together. So sometimes, let me change that, my opinion, 
I think oftentimes and maybe all the time these things come in by his prescription or permission to get us to the point of what we're going to learn today of how to pray for other people because all this stuff is permitted by the Lord and used to help bring us closer to him. Maybe for salvation to start with and then our walk with it thereafter. All right. Now let me give you one parenthesis and I'll launch into this. That does not mean that if there is actual evil itself that God is using evil then and he makes evil happen so that something can happen so that he can not get your attention. Evil is already in the world. That's through the fall. But here's the good part. That God is above all evil and as that he can then override that evil and take all that is evil and still turn that into good. And if you need an example of that, Jesus Christ was on the cross and he went to the cross after he went to a kangaroo court of an event and then he was brutally beaten on that cross or before the cross, nailed to that cross and what he truly controlled was his own death because he put himself to death. He died. He extinguished himself for that moment on the cross and he still had victory over it all when he resurrected again. So even when there's evil, God can overrule it. So no matter what evil has happened to you, it's not that God wanted you to have evil happen to you, but he's going to say, whatever that evil is, I will overrule it in your life, especially if you'll get on my train. In other words, you go and yield to me as a believer in Christ. Well, that being said, let's talk now about Ephesians chapter 1. And I want to talk a little bit about this particular model prayer that he gave here. So if you want to follow in your notes, you can, or just make notes in your Bible. We're going to call the beginning of this the reason for the request. In other words, why was he making this request? So it would probably be good for me to just read this passage to you. Would you give me a moment? I don't know what version you have. Generally, I use the New American, but today I've got the New King James in front of me. So here's what we have. Therefore, I also, Paul speaking, writing to the Ephesian church, he said... After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you might know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head of all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's the passage. That's the prayer, and that's a pretty rich prayer. It's so rich, it's like one of those wonderful desserts you get, and you kind of take two bites and you realize this is so good, but I don't know that I can finish all of this. So let me give you a cursory review of this, then you go deep and you take bites of it until you finally finish it. So let's go over it. The reason for the request. What he did as he began this is he focused on the situation of the people about which he was praying. Look in verse 15, and here's what you're going to see on the focus. It says here, Therefore, or for this reason, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. We'll stop there. Now, here's what's happening, so you can kind of make sense out of this. What he's saying right here is he's saying, I've heard about your faith and I heard about the love that you had, and I'm wondering, not so much how he heard about it, it's not too unusual to know how he heard about it, 
Paul was in Rome at the time. He was in jail at the time. His first imprisonment, most people say. He wrote a number of different epistles or letters while he was in there. He was at the early end of his imprisonment, they believe. And so what he was getting is news back. We might call it rumors back, information back from the people that he administered to. When he was in Ephesus, he was there about three years planting the church and pastoring it. But he also equipped leaders because he went back to the Ephesian elders and he gave them his last shot as we find in Acts chapter 20. So he really knew about what was happening. So when he said... I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I don't cease to, to, to pray for you. I keep on praying for you. Now, here's what I want you to know from this particular passage. If you'll notice, the title of the sermon is When Others Need Prayer. I built the last three Sundays on the issue of when others are going through tragedy in their life, what do we do about praying for them? I do not find her, any tragedy that's mentioned in here, any particular famine, any particular disease, any particular persecution that's going on with the Ephesian church. I do have to believe that there was sickness. I do have to believe that there was marginalization of Christians by the Romans uh, government. I have to believe that there was challenges there. But that's not what he focused on. He focused on their faith and their love. Are you with me so far? That means this. That not only are we to pray for all the people that are going through terrible stuff, loss of jobs, loss of health, loss of relationships, but there's times that perhaps those people that are going through great things that are on a spiritual high might need our prayers as much and possibly even more. Because when you're lifted up, isn't it the tendency that pride can step in? And when you have pride, it's like a card castle, it all then comes down. And so I'd like to encourage you folks that we not only pray for those that are going through tragedies, but I want you to think about those that are doing some great things. You've heard a great report about someone, a missionary, a fellow Christian. Your kids might be doing something great, something wonderful, a decision that they made, whatever it might be, you might pray for them. And so that's what he's doing here. His reason is to begin praying for them because he's heard some great things. And he says, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is your Bible. You might want to look at it. Faith in the Lord. It's not faith in yourself. It's not faith in a system. He said, what I heard about is that you had the right object of your faith. There are a lot of people that have faith today. But the faith that we have to have is the faith in the right object, and it's in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, if you want to go back over the beginning part of this letter, he starts by talking here about being chosen by the Father. So, in other words, they were in the mind of God before they were born and that this whole plan of salvation was planned in Christ by faith alone. They're redeemed by the Son, verses 7 through 12. Then verses 13 through 14 talks about not only you're redeemed, but you're sealed by the Spirit that can't be broken. So he's really saying, I know you had faith in the Lord, folks. I knew you had your doctrine of salvation right by faith alone. He said, I knew you got that together, your faith in the Lord. But he said, I heard something else about you. I heard of your love for all the saints. Now, that is an interesting phrase. Before he even gets to praying here, he says, man, your love for all the saints. There's a phrase we often use in Christianity. I, I think I know why we use it if we really unpack it. It goes like this. I, um, I don't like that person, but I do love him in the Lord. In other words, it's kind of like this obligatory, I love him because I have to love him kind of thing. I don't know that I like that term. I, I think sometimes people might use it to say, in my flesh I can't love that person, but in the Lord, he gives me the ability to do that. I like thinking more that I love that person, first of all, because God loves that person. And if God loves that person, I should love him too. And that's what he's saying here. I remember that you had love for all those people. So it was not only I love him in spite of it, I love it because the Lord loves you. I love you not only because the Lord loves you, but I also love you the way the Lord loves you, and I really care. Now, if you would look up here, you that are listening on the radio, you're not going to catch this as much. Notice the beautiful little dynamic here. He says, I noticed your faith, and then he talks about your love. 
So when I look at the love, the love goes outward to one another. So I have love for other people, love for those that are around me, love for the people in our community, love for the people I know. And there's a kind of love that I have for people I don't even know. I love them although I don't know them. I don't have an intimate relationship. It's not a filial love. It's kind of a godly thing that God gives to me. So I love them even though I don't know them. So we have that outward. Now, where does your faith go? You don't put your faith in man or a system. You put your faith in the Lord. So that goes upward. So it's almost like the sign of the cross right here. So he's saying, look at you guys really have it together. This is a great church, but I'm still going to pray for you. And we haven't even gotten in the richness of the prayer. Now, I do have to say that there's one thing that seemed to be left out of this church. Now, this is my opinion now, okay? There's what is known in Scripture as three graces. See if you can help me with those three graces, if you will. I'm going to do two of them. Faith. Hope, and what's the third one? Charity or love. You'll find that in 1 Thessalonians. It seems like the three main Christian graces are faith, hope, and charity. This church had faith and charity, or faith and love, but I don't see a lot about hope here, so he's not complimenting them on their hope. What is interesting, in just a moment we're going to see, he prayed that they would understand the hope of their calling. That means then they would have a hope that they're missing at the outset. So maybe one of the things he's subtly reminding them of is, hey, you got your faith and your love right, but what you got to work on is your hope. And here's how you can get it. And he's praying for them in such a manner as that. So I see that as the focus of his prayer. And maybe some of you, if you need to know how to pray for others better, would you take a moment and not just focus on the tragedy and the problems that they have? Can you take a moment and just focus on the, the things that God has built into their lives and just look at that for a moment? Let me add another thought. Some of you might find it very difficult because you've got some irregular people, sandpaper people in your life. Alright, you got those kinds of people, so it's hard for you to pray for them. Well, even in the midst of sandpaper people, there could be some character traits that are God-built in their life. And because of that, that gives you a greater ability to pray for them when they need prayer. And of course, we're always standing in the need of prayer. So let's go a little bit further. So what's the response to this request? Well, in this verse, you'll notice, verse 16, it says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayer. Well, obviously, it's to keep on thanking the Lord for that other person. Now, it's so neat when someone gives you something or gives me something that we have an opportunity to write a thank you note. We want to thank them for that. But in reality, what we want to do is we want to thank God for those people that have come into our life or those people that God used to do something for us, give us something, help us with something, whatever it might be. But our thankfulness is to the Lord. So he's giving thanks for that. I love that. He says, I don't cease to give thanks for you. Notice what it doesn't say. says, I do not cease to feel thankful for you. Sometimes you don't have to feel very thankful, but you certainly can give thanks for them because they are still created in the image of God. They're a child of God. They're an instrument of God, used of God, to do something for your life to help you to see God a little bit better. And so you can give thanks for them. So sometimes you're going to give thanks because it's the right thing to do, whether you feel thankful or not. Let me just pause for a moment. Do you have some people in your life right now that have reached out and touched you in a special way? And if you spent time thanking them, and here Paul says, I didn't cease thanking them. It wasn't like, okay, I got that prayer done, I'll go to the next one. It was all part of his system of praying. All right, let's look at the second uh, response for this request. It said he keeps on asking for them. It says, I do not cease to give thanks. I just want to mention here about the making mention of you in my prayers. Well, I would just like to encourage you that um, you might look at your life, and, and I have to look at mine for sure. As busy as we get, do we have time to pray? My wife was watching a teaching DVD in our house the other day and, and while she was going through it, they were talking about this, this lady Bible teacher was teaching. And as she was going through this material, the Bible teacher was talking about the advantages of social networking. 
And, you know, we're all smiling because Carol finally got her email address, okay? That's what she, she finally has an email address. She sent two emails, okay? And uh, don't inundate her because she's still learning how to do this, all right? I've been her secretary. Let's go a little bit further now. This lady did say, though, that no matter the social networking that we have, it is so easy for us to get so attached to so many people because, watch this, and you'll agree, I think, when someone sends an email or when you send one to them, don't you, in most cases, now be honest, expect some kind of an acknowledgement to that email? Is that not the case? Somehow you do, especially if you requested something from them or you need an answer from them. You are expecting that. And because we have social networking, now we have systems that are in place that when you send one, it goes to a lot of people. A lot of people are responding. Now, I know they have certain little buttons. You can then respond the same way to everybody, but that becomes impersonal, and you don't want to do that. So now you start, and all of a sudden, as good as that is to stay connected to one another, and I didn't say about bad conversation or gossip. I'm just saying you're just communicating. But what does that do about sucking us away from our prayer time? Now, the advantage is we hear about more people who need prayer. The disadvantage is... Could we ever pray for all of those people that need prayer? Remember, Paul was in prison. How many people really want to go by and visit him? I don't know. So he had a lot of time to pray. But I'm just going to ask you, as an adult, and you teenagers that are listening, maybe certain things you can't control because mom and dad make you do it, but there are certain things that you can control, and some of that is your time. And now you can man up or girl up or boy up and say, I'm going to do more praying. And so you just go to the Lord and see where the Lord's taking you on that. But can you keep on asking the Lord for something? And I think there's one other little caveat, and I'll move on to the next point, and that's simply this. Jesus says we need to ask, seek, knock. I love that. Ask, seek, knock. If you want to remember, ask is A-S-K. Ask, seek, knock. When I get to the seeking and the knocking... My office on the third floor, my study on the third floor is by a back stairwell steel door. And people don't have a, lot, a key to that. Many people don't. But when they want to come in that way, they don't want to walk all the way around here and go all the way back to the stairs. So what do they do? And they're peering through this little window, you know. And uh, so I'm thinking, do I go out and answer the door or not or whatever? And of course, once I do, they see who I am and I can't say, go away. I have to let them in. I want you to say with the Lord, sometimes there's that continual praying and praying and praying. So you might know some people right now when others need prayer. Yeah, one prayer is enough with God. I know he can hear it one time, but he does say to keep on praying. And it's not so much because the more we rub the bottle, the more the genie will pop out. It's the more that we're praying, the more we're communicating with God, the deeper relationship we're having with him. In addition to that, more information is coming and we're connecting better to our brothers and sisters and maybe others that are standing in the need of prayer. So keep on asking for them. And then the next part of this says, uh, keep your mind on Jesus Christ when you're praying. I, I don't need to say that a whole lot in here. I think you know that it says your faith in the Lord Jesus, verse 17, that the God of our, uh, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of, and then he talks about what he's praying to. So just remember, when you're praying, I hope it's not rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub stuff. I pray that when you're talking to the Lord, maybe even while you're driving, as much as you pay attention with that, that you remember you're just not mouthing just words of some vain repetition, some little, I'm, I'm talking, and I know God's out there somewhere. I pray in some measure that, that you would really focus on the Lord, that he is right there. When you say, Lord, he says, yes. 
When I was a kid growing up, my mom wasn't saved, but she had a little bit of a moral value about her, a lot actually. But one of the things spiritually was, I, I used the word God a lot. Oh God, oh God. I didn't curse, didn't use the, the bad words. I'd, oh God. And mom was tired of me doing that all the time. And she said, you know what, that's not, that's not what anybody should say. You know, oh God. She said, every time you say, oh God, God says, yes, yes. And you know what I learned from that? Is that I am talking to God. I just, I just notified him at that moment. Now he's there all along, but I need to realize that when I speak to the Lord, I'm speaking to him at that point. Well, now that's a little bit of the response to the request. We need to get into the request here. This will not take long, but I do want you to see what it has to say in this passage of a model of praying when someone else needs prayer. Before we pray that they get a job or get health, all right, what can we pray about? First of all, ask the Lord to give them spiritual insight to know Christ better. Spiritual insight to know Christ better. Now, while you're putting that phrase down, I want you to think about it for a moment. Whatever they're going through, part of that is the trial, if they're a believer, listen, is the trial of their faith. And Peter says, the trial of your faith is more precious than gold. We'll all say, amen to that. More precious than gold. If that's the case, if we want to have more gold, then we want to either have more trial or a longer trial because trial is like gold in our life. So at that moment, we're not going to ask yet the Lord will remove the trial from them. What we do want to help them is to be able to go through that trial, learn what they can, keep their spiritual equilibrium in balance, and they can move on from that trial that they have. That's why you don't see him praying for Ephesian dads to get jobs and moms to be able to handle the house if dad died or went off to war or something. Nothing like that. It was all praying for a deeper thing. And so he was praying that they would have spiritual insight. Let's go to verse 17. It says this, That God may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now notice, it's not something that we have to make ourselves. Look, look up here for just a second. I need, to, I need to explain what the wisdom and revelation is, and then I'm going to talk about the gift. So I'm going to start from the back of the verse and move to the front of the verse. So here we go. He says that God would grant you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. All right? Wisdom is probably a lot more tied to truth that is applied. Now, I am very simplifying this. I know it's oversimplified. I realize that. The revelation would be the truth of God. So he's saying here that you would have the spirit of knowing and applying the truth, the revelation of God. Now we know that God will reveal himself through the word. Now he may use others in your life, but only as the others are using the word in your life will that revelation come to you. The spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now in your Bible, look at the word spirit there. You're going to notice that it's in a small s. I agree with that because I do not believe it's referring to a Holy Spirit of wisdom and knowledge. Why? Because I believe they're already believers, so they don't need to get the Holy Spirit. They already have all the Holy Spirit they'll ever need. They don't need more of the Holy Spirit. They got it all. And if you go back into the Greek there, it's in a particular Greek structure that lives, leaves an indefinite statement in there. So you could say a spirit of, not the spirit. So a spirit would be like an attitude, maybe a little bit of understanding. Uh, how, how many of you parents could identify with this? You have a bunch of kids in your family. Some are real slow to warm up. Some are passive. And some of you have kids that are live wires. How many of you got kids that are live wires, okay? Seems like they're just mainlining caffeine all day long or sugar, I should say. All right, we would say, I have a spirited kid. We'd say, I have a spirited horse. Well, what he's really saying here is that you would have this attitude, this, this excitement of Wisdom and revelation. And then it says, and this is the key part, in the knowledge of him. In a mo this is really important. There's two words here. One is knowledge 
And the other is no in this context. I will speak about the word no in a moment. Right now the word knowledge means the full knowledge of him. So while you're praying for others, if it's good that they've had in their life or tragedy in their life, you want to pray that they would, through this tragedy, in some measure, begin to develop this spirit of wisdom and knowledge in the full knowledge of Jesus Christ, of God. You want them to know him. You don't, here it is. You don't want them to waste that tragedy. Because if they don't get it this way, maybe the Lord's going to have to allow other things to come in until they get to a point of brokenness as a believer. Because he's not praying for the lost here, is he? He's praying for those who already know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Here's second, verse 18. You want to ask the Lord to help them to understand four great truths. It says that they would be given the spirit of wisdom and revelation. It's something that God will provide. But here he says, I pray the eyes of your understanding being enlightened so that you may know. Now I'm going to unpack those four because you're going to want to have these because these are the things you're exactly praying for that you want them to have. You want them to have this wisdom and revelation, but you want their eyes to understand four truths. And what's so interesting about this, and I love this, when he says it in this passage here, these understanding that will be enlightened, that your eyes would be open to know. You see that word know? That word know is different than the full knowledge. This is a Greek word that means to know like facts, like truths. There's a great book out called Love the Lord with All of Your Mind. That there is a time that you need to know truth. You need to know doctrine. You need to know the facts behind this. Watch. If you know the facts, and they're truth facts, I'm talking, not just facts and trivia junk, but truth facts, that is your gateway into fully experiencing God. So you've got to know the facts. So let's go through these now, shall we? First of all, we're praying that they would know the hope of His calling. And I call that God's purpose in their life. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.